The Moten Mailbag is brought to you by the Robert Russo Moten Museum, located in Farmville, Virginia. The Moten Museum is a civil rights museum focusing on the history of Prince Edward County between 1951 and 1964. Director of Education and Public Programs. And I'm Leah Brown, this is the Director of Education. The Moton Mailbag is a weekly listener question show. Each week we'll answer questions about U.S. history, African American culture, civil rights, and more. Feel free to submit your questions via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moton Museum or email info at moatonmuseum.org. So, it's what, 68 days into being closed to the public? Something like that? I mean, that sounds right. I mean, what is time, right? What, what, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Why keep track? So what's, what's happening on your end? How are things going? I hate this rain. It is so demoralizing, but it's chilly. So I'm like, mm, let's put a hoodie on. It's fine. Be cozy. Sweater weather? Yes. Yes. So... But I got a new cookbook. Haven't cooked anything yet, but I'm optimistic. So we'll see. It's the Sweet Home Cafe cookbook from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I'm just like, this sounds amazing. I need to get a pantry. So I have all these basic ingredients. And I think I know how to cook. I know how to survive. There's a difference. Thanks can be Tuesday. <laughs> so yeah, some recipes I'm like that takes way too much time. Why would anybody do that? And then some I'm like, bet I can make that right now. So yeah. I'm sure back when a lot of these recipes were done, the the makeup of the home was different, and people spent a lot more time in the kitchen than probably us millennials feel like spending in the kitchen. Yes, yes, <laughs> like. My great-grandmother, big breakfast, clean up, it's time to cook lunch, clean up, it's time to cook dinner, and then you can sit down. Like, why? Why? Similar to my grandmother, I'm quite sure. We eat good, though. We eat good. Facts. Absolutely. Eat real good. So, we can go ahead and get started with these questions, if you're ready. I am, I am. Cool, cool. I'll read the first one. Uh, and this is from somebody who's probably not located in this area, which is cool, you know, but we will encourage you to visit after we're able to. But the first question is, what is Farmville like today? Let's start with Leah, because she is newer to the community than I, and therefore far less biased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> All right. So Farmville for me is the perfect mix of city and country. If I go in one direction, there are cows. I am happy. Love cows, love farmland, that kind of girl. If I go in the other direction, there's fine dining. It's like, well, there you go. This is pretty great. I mean, granted, it's not that fancy because, you know, balling on a budget, but it's nice to have the blend of the two within 20 minutes versus my typical experience of 40 minutes to get anywhere. So I like it. And then the people... I'm still learning the community, the people, and seeing how, like, I'm, a, I'm a people watcher, 
So the interactions, I'm still learning, but I like it. Good. I'm glad. I'm I'm a native farm billion, so that is uh, that sounds awesome, and I'm glad. Always when people acclimate well to the community, Um, farm has changed a lot over the years. Um, And I think in the previous episode we talked about, you know, what would Prince Edward County be like today if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for the school closings. I mean, not not to go back down that rabbit hole. If you've listened to that episode, I've talked for a long time, Um, but. Uh, Farmers is a great place. I mean, I love it. You know, it's. I think the size is great. You know, the people. You know, the diversity of people, experiences, restaurants. You know, businesses, recreation. Um, I just think it's a great little place. I mean, it's a great place to raise a family. Um, it's a great place uh, just just to, to visit. I mean, it's seldom you find a place that's great to live and great to visit. Yes. I feel like Farmville is both. You mm-hmm. know. Um, you know, location-wise, we, we benefit. You know, it's an hour from Richmond, an hour from Charlottesville, hour from Lynchburg, two hours from Durham, North Carolina, three hours from D.C. You know, so you can get, I mean, I, we made it to New York City from here in about six and a half hours. Like, driving, like, this is a pretty solid location um, on, on the East Coast to, to be in in general. And, but at the same, but then it, it's a weird Part of the location of the state too because it takes four hours to get to bristol so it's like all right well this is, i can get to durham and back before mm-hmm. i made it to bristol which is technically in the same state <laughs> which is odd but that's okay um no I, I love it it's uh it's great the food's great the people are great and when we open back up come visit please stay in the hotel wyanoke beautiful beautiful hotel looks like mm-hmm. it should be in like london or something but no it's in farmville far vegas and it's lovely I haven't stayed there, but Leah, I think I stayed it's there. It's very nice. <laughs> it's very nice. It's lovely. <laughs> there, there are pocket doors in the bathroom. I love a pocket door. It's a big deal. See, I don't even know what that means. It's okay. fancy. So how that works is <laughs> it's like it's in the wall and you pull it out and you push it back in. It's a pocket. It's in a pocket. I'd have to see a picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to see a picture. All right, on to the next question. What are your go-to historical research tools? I am answering this question first because Leah is going to have a far better answer than I. Because as I've said many times, Leah is an actual historian and I am a transplant. However, (laughs) the part of history that uh, is most prevalent to us here at Moton uh, is 1940s to 1969-ish. You know, so that kind of 30-ish year span um, and in Virginia, with regards to the civil rights movement especially, it was very, very legal, very, very court-heavy. Um, so my go-to historical research tool, and Leah actually had to remind me of this because I had actually forgotten the name for a while. It's been a while since I need to go to it, but oyez.org, O-Y-E-Z dot org. Essentially, you can get to any U.S. Supreme Court case that has ever been filed. And you can get and you can see kind of like case notes and the briefings. Uh, and the, you know the justice kind of summarizations and such and it's super useful you know because of course we got brown and i think people know about brown but like if i need to go to the brown Brownie board if i want to talk about Lovely virginia if i want to talk about you know the griffin decision green versus new kent uh you know if i want to talk about any of these huge landmark if i want to go back to plessy um just to get into the weeds you know and, and really get some information it's a really really fantastic uh, resource, especially because there's so many court cases. I mean, there's like 10 U.S. Supreme Court cases um, 
civil rights wise in the span of like 15 years, you know, something like something astronomical. So it's a big, big benefit uh, to, to me to use. And I encourage you to use it too. Again, O-Y-E-Z dot O-R-G. Leah, what about you? So I love the Library of Congress. One, the library, why not? Two, the number of primary sources that they have available, readily available is amazing. I mean, newspapers, letters, photographs, drawings, political cartoons, always fun, sometimes traumatic, you gotta be, must be clear. Um, and that's my babe, that's like, that's top tier. But then like thinking about historic research, I like to listen to like the people, like going back to those primary sources, oral histories, listening to the people who lived an experience for me makes it not relatable, but better understandable. Cause this is a person I'm thinking this is a person and they are going through what happened to them. So to have that ability to hear the voice of the person that had this tremendous impact, depending on the person is, it's a different story. Um, and kind of to go along with that, the WPA, I mentioned it before, the slave narratives they collected, um, they did it via oral history and I was in class back when I was getting my master's and we were given two oral histories. One was of this lady who, she said, oh, this was, like I had a great master, like he was in play, he was great, it was awesome, it was like, it was, it was fine. The next one was, sit down, let me tell you what happened to me and my people, and that exchange. Now, it turns out, same person who was interviewing her was the difference. The first person was somebody who was white, it was a white male, versus a black female. So, how a story is told who tells the story? I don't know. It just, it is fascinating to me. I get real jazzed if you couldn't hear it in my voice. <laughs> yeah. Leah is a true historian. <laughs> I am an aspiring historian. It's great. Or histories are great. Yeah. Transcribing them, not so great, but important work. Oh, God. Yeah. That's the <laughs> truth. Like, it was. Tom's not real. I think it was earlier this week. I listened to Shucks. He was the minister in Petersburg. Wyatt. Why can't I think of his name? I think it's his last name. The fly on Jeopardy. Wyatt T. Walker. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. So, (laughs) so the own Library of Congress. You listen to his oral history, and I'm like, oh my god, he's a real person. I'm like, yes, but. Like, it's another reminder, like, these are people. It's not just a historical figure. But he, his wife, who was part of the movement as well, but not in the same capacity, but definitely part of the movement, came on that. And he was like, all right, honey, tell them what happened to you Mother's Day. I'm like, what? First of all, like, that is so cute. He loves his wife so much. You know, it's just like the human part of it comes out um, in interviews like that. Yeah, I love it. Well, I think that's a natural segue into the next question of why is historical preservation important, Leah? It helps set the scene. We are in Moton, a school turned museum. We have original floors. 
which I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. But they creak, but I like that. It gives character to the building. But the floor I step on is the same floor Barbara John stepped on. Mm-hmm. So you have that like power of place part of it. And we're a National Historic Landmark as well. Got that denization thing. You know the word I'm trying to say. <laughs> Designation. <laughs> there it is. In 1998. So the building looks like it looked the day of the strike. April 23rd, 1951. So you're in the place, sitting in the same spaces, looking at similar to what they saw. You wouldn't have that experience if this building was gone. You wouldn't have that experience if the paint was different. You wouldn't have that experience if the curtains were wrong. You have like, kind of like to take a like a like a picture, like a snapshot of what happened, mm-hmm. but preserve it so somebody, if anybody walks through, they can see and kind of like a similar experience. Not the same at all, but right. similar. Help tell the story. Yeah, I think often when I go somewhere, historical site or otherwise, you know, what if this building could talk, right? What if these yes. trees could talk? What story mm-hmm. would they tell? And there's a lot of buildings in the county and, and other places that are kind of going by the, by the wayside, essentially. Um, historical preservation is important because, I mean, the stories. Um, we have a building across the street, Mary E. Branch mm-hmm. uh, Elementary School, which form, formerly known as... Um, and it's just to, to see the the state of disappearance, and now it's just really, it's just really sad because you know once upon a time that was the elementary school you know for African American students in, in Farmville, and you know was a beautiful building and the amount of stuff that took place in that building, right? But now it's kind of it, it's it's fallen. Um, it, it I think we're, we're we're doing some work to try to preserve it, but it's difficult because preserving old buildings can be expensive. Um, and, and we're lucky to work at a place such as Moton that has such a great example of how grassroots energy and efforts can go a super long way into historical preservation. Um, but it, again, it, any history education, I think, is summed up by, by the quote of, you know, some, some of the effect of know your past so you won't, you know, let the bad things repeat themselves and, and so you can have a better future. Um, and I think that preserving space is a big part of that because... It's a, it's a great way to make the connection, kind of like Leah was alluding to earlier. You know, It's difficult to make a connection if you just are reading about it um, or if you just look at a photograph. But when you can go there, and it's kind of like you can feel it. You know, there's a different feeling. You know, there's like, you know, it, it just, it's just different. You know, when I was walking around uh, Montpelier a couple of years ago and I went to the Mere Distinction of Color exhibit, it just, it, you could just feel it. It was like, whoa, like this is, you know, it's, it just is a feeling yeah. um, that n- no amount of reading, and I don't even like reading like that, but no amount of reading could, um, you know, have given me that same feeling, which wouldn't have given me the same kind of connection to it. So, um, yeah, I think historical preservation is very important in that in that regard. All right, last question. Am I reading this one? I'll read it. Okay. Oh, Lord. Okay. It's a hard one. <laughs> All right. Stay, stay with us, y'all. Today we see TV channels churches, other things that are unofficially black only. Is this a form of self-segregation? Is, pardon, is this a form, no, yeah, that's right. No, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> is this a form of self-segregation by both whites and blacks, and is it a bad thing? 
Yeah, y'all knew this was going too uh, lighthearted to, to not have a, a, a deep society-provoking question. Um, I think this, you could have asked this 50 years ago, you could have asked it 100 years ago, I mean, and you could ask it today. Um, and, and thank you to whoever sent in this question. Um, yeah, I mean, the Martin Luther King quote, right? The most segregated hour in, in, in the country is at 11 a.m. on you know church Sundays, right? Like, I, people feel comfortable around people who are similar, um, and I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. Um, I will say that primarily African-American TV channels, I mean, BET is the obvious example, right? Mm -hmm. It wouldn't exist if it didn't have to. Um, and I think it still is a good thing that it exists. However, when it was created, it was because there wasn't representation of African-Americans in any kind of positive or three-dimensional or nuanced fashion. Uh, if African-Americans were on TV shows, it was usually very one-dimensional roles. You know, if it was on Law and Order, it was, a, it, was it was the criminals, right? It was not a very positive or accurate portrayal of, of African-Americans, with the exception of, like, the Cosby show, right? There really was, were no real volume of, of you know, portraying African-Americans. Um, and so, and, and, and the, you know, the people who combat it, you know, there's no white inter entertainment television. It's called PBS, CBS, NBC, Fox, you know, whatever, right? Places where you do see very, very you know, multiple dimensioned, very balanced views of, of people, you know, white people, right? Um, I think black churches, uh, you know, or, or versus white churches, I mean, it's culture, right? Um, I, I've been to plenty of, I, I guess, mixed race churches. Mm -hmm. um, I've been to plenty of black churches, I've been to plenty of white churches. It's just, it's kind of a stood down to a matter of, of preference um, and, and comfortability. I don't think it's inherently a bad thing. I think the only time self-segregation, quote unquote, becomes a bad thing is when people go out of their way to be close-minded or to silo themselves uh, from the rest of society or from other races. You know, supremacy. Supremacy is bad. I don't think it's bad to have a group of black friends. I don't think it's bad to have a group of white friends. I think it's bad if you're going out of your way to make sure that is the case. Um, because if you go to Minnesota, like, you're not going to see a bunch of black people around just because that's not where most of the black people are. You know, I went to a predominantly black high school. Therefore, most of my friends were black. I still had plenty of white friends, but I went to a predominantly black high school. So it, I didn't go out of my way, you know, but that's just kind of that. Um, you know, I, I think as long as it doesn't, it's not from the perspective of supremacy or superiority, I think it's, I mean, I think it's fine. I mean, I think it's okay. I think it's, it's good to be able to go to be with people who have a similar experience, but I think the, the big key to racial harmony is opening our minds up and learning different cultures, um, being around people who are different than us so we can appreciate and respect their cultures and be inclusive and not just diverse. What do you think, Lee? All right, so I wrote, I write out my answers, surprise, surprise. So I brought out a lot, but I think the issue, again, is exclusion. Like, yes, they're predominantly African-American churches, but if you weren't African-American and showed up, you'd be welcome. You'd be given a program. An usher would tell you where to sit um, versus being told you can't be here. Um, and thinking about, I mean, let's throw in the historical perspective. People of color... 
African Americans were excluded from almost everything. That's what, like that's what segregation was. The separation. It was subjugation. Right. Making them second class citizens, which they resisted completely. But in that space, if you're not allowed to be part of a bank, you make your own bank. If you're not allowed to go to this restaurant, you make your own restaurants. You find your own place within the spaces. And it's not, historically, it was exclusion. But in today's context, I always think about the, like, thinking about TV. Who is that audience? Who is it made for? Is it made for an African-American audience? Granted, you could still watch it. It's not, it's an opt-in versus an exclusion kind of thing. Um, and then thinking about, well, let's see what my notes is. Oh, like the aspect of, well, the other day, the, the Crisis Magazine, which is part of the NAACP, had a discussion on mental health during COVID, the COVID crisis. And like it's NAACP, it's an African American perspective, and it was on live, so anybody could engage. But the audience was directed towards African Americans because you have years of like community stress, and how that stress is just added on to current stress. So to me, the unofficially black part of it if you can watch it engage if you would like to it's an opt-in but then not everything is for everybody does that make sense not that you're not welcome but the information given may not be helpful to you as a person so it depends on the context but you know it's an opt-in if you like to go to African American church, you can go. If you want to watch African American TV, you can watch it. You know, this isn't what the question was, but I think often about Griffin Boulevard here in, in Prince Edward County, Farmville. Um, you know, how many black-owned businesses, restaurants, mm. places that there were mm. back then? Kind of, and Lee, I think Leah made me think of it when she said because they had to be right. We couldn't go to black to white barbers, so we went to black barbers. We couldn't go to white restaurants, so we went to. We had to create our own. Um, after desegregation happens kind of widespread, I mean, how many black-owned restaurants do we have here now? Yeah. One. Maybe maybe more than one. I think somebody, I think a black person owns the Bojangles, I guess it's like a franchise spot, but like two max? Yeah. You know, when it used to be dozens, right? How many black, you know, real estate agents are there here? How many African-American, uh, I mean, there's their barbershops. But, you know, there's just... It, Seeing the way things have changed, it just, it makes it it makes you think, you know. Um, and and the churches certainly still are around in some iteration, but you know, it's just something. This is something you think about, you know, when because typically the the white institutions were viewed as the better ones, and so when desegregation happens, there was less patronage of African American spots because you could go to the white spots now, whether it be for the, the novelty of it or because it was perceived to be better. Um, so I think there's a, there's a conversation to be had about helping people of color get back into entrepreneurship um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in an inclusive way in Farmville and in Virginia and in the country. 
Um, I think there's a there's a, a big need for that and a desire for that. Um, I mean, just like the, like the Negro Baseball League, yeah. right? Half of the most of those guys didn't even end up going to the MLB. There was a few of them, but like it would take decades for more African Americans to be to be in the baseball league. Same with basketball. Same with you know in every institution. Um, what they achieved through desegregation was diversity, but not inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the, 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 the issue. And I think we answered on a yeah. previous question in a previous episode. I think we talked about it. But um, was it was integration worth it? Was that did we? Anyways, we've gotten the question. Was integration worth it? Because it seemed like a lot of bad stuff kept happening. And, and I think the shorter answer yeah. is yes, it was worth it. But people, if people could go back in time, they would try to do it in a more deliberate way. I mean, I think that's the that's the crux of the answer, the inclusion part. Right. I mean, you always say diversity is you're invited to a dance, but inclusion is you to a party, but inclusion is you're invited to dance. Like you're asked to dance, like you're actively part of it. Right. That makes a difference. I mean, and the question about is it a good or a bad thing? The intent makes it a good or a bad thing. Right. You know, like if it's like your community church, it's your community church. If it's you saying to anybody, you can't come in for whatever reason, that's a bad thing. That's, you know. Yeah. 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 Anything else on that? I think that was a pretty good conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those questions that, I mean, it should be asked. It's a hard answer because there's, it's layered. Like an onion. Lots of layers. Oh, Shrek. Oh, Shrek. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cakes up layers too, Leah. (laughs) <laughs> they do. They do. Made one this week. Lemon. It's great. <laughs> All right. And that concludes this installment of the Note and Mailbag. I would like to thank you for tuning in. Next episode, next week, same time, same place. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor.com. Just look up the Milton Mailbag Podcast. Keep sending your questions all of our social media platforms or email us at info at Talk to you soon. Bye.